Hey people, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. On this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's 2-2 draw at Anfield. A point gained or two points dropped? We'll be breaking all of that down. Uh, I think there's loads and loads to unpack from this one. We're going to be talking individual performances. We're going to be talking about how the game went in general. So, 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 so much to get into and we're going to be doing all of that right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast part of the 90 Min Football Network Hey people welcome back along to the podcast hope you're good hope you are well um yeah uh I don't really know how to feel uh, to be honest about this one uh, let me just adjust this because I, I don't know what I've done wrong uh, in the lead up to this episode. But there you go. Uh, let's fix that. Let's uh, sort that out anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know how to feel about this one. Uh, mixed feelings, if I'm being completely honest with you. You know, I thought that when we were 2-0 up, this was a, a golden opportunity for Arsenal to go on and really uh, make a big point in the title race. You know, go on and really stamp their authority on this thing send out a statement to everybody that doubted us, everybody that looked at us and thought, well, you can't win at Anfield, you're probably not going to win at City and you might drop points at Newcastle. It was a real opportunity for Arsenal to go out there and say, do you know what? We can do it. We are capable. We are ready. And for 35 up to 40 or so minutes, it looked like that was going to be the case. It looked like Arsenal had gone to Anfield, played them off the park in the first half for large, large periods, were clinical when our chances came along and, you know, we were going to cruise to a victory. But I think it was probably naive of us as fans to think that at Anfield we weren't going to have some difficult moments and some difficult periods, that we weren't going to face a, wet, a storm that we needed to weather. The problem was that when that storm came, we, we crumbled on a couple of occasions and I thought we were extremely fortunate in the end to get away with a point. So, Going back to my question right at the top of the show, was it a point gained or was it two points dropped? It's a really, really difficult one to answer because based on that first half performance, you would say that it's two points dropped. But based on the second half performance and the way Liverpool came at us and the way Liverpool controlled and dominated the game, I would argue that a point is a pretty good outcome given that Ramsdale was forced into action on numerous occasions. He made some wonderful saves, given that Mo Salah, normally so reliable from the penalty spot, missed the penalty kick in front of the cop. And when you factor all of those things in, you probably have to say that we were slightly fortunate in the end, as I say, to get that point. And although it feels like it was two points dropped because of the position that we found ourselves in. I think when you go back and watch the game, as I've done this morning, and you break it down and you analyse it and you think about how it went in terms of clear-cut chances, it's Liverpool who will probably be the most disappointed, I think. Because we had a lot of the ball in the first half. We created some moments. There was a shot from Zinchenko. Uh, which was saved by Alisson diving to his left, but it was a pretty comfortable save. There was the Gabriel Jesus opportunity where he came in at the far post and he just couldn't keep it down. But outside of that, we didn't create a lot of clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities. The two that we did create, we scored, and great. But when you look at the dominance Liverpool had in the second half, uh, the saves that Ramsdale was forced to make, as I've mentioned, the fact that they had a penalty kick, you have to say 
uh, that we were probably lucky to get away with um, the point in the end. Uh, bear with me one second, guys. I'm having a couple of technical issues at the moment. Don't go anywhere. Hold on. Stay, stay put. There we go. That should be okay. Yep, I think that's okay. Apologies. I've had all sorts of technical issues this morning. It's why we were a few minutes uh, late starting the live. Um, as you saw, I started the stream without the background um, on the video um, due to whatever technical gremlins are, are coming at me this morning. But I think we're okay now. I think we're good uh, to continue, in, uh, continue through what's going to be a jam-packed show. So um, let's start from the very top then. Let's start with the team that Mikel Arteta selected. I think the team that he picked was the one that most people expected. Um, William Saliba, who he, he probably hinted uh, towards the back end of last week, might be available, obviously wasn't because he wasn't in the match day squad at all. Uh, so clearly they didn't feel he was ready. That doesn't mean he didn't train on Saturday, but obviously they didn't feel he was ready uh, to be involved in the squad for this game. And look, you'd rather not risk it. You'd rather not rush him back. And you'd rather wait until he's uh, fit and ready to come in and really, really help the team. Uh, obviously, Bukayo Saka came into the starting eleven to replace Leandro Trossard. That's what I expected to happen. Um, wasn't sure if Mikel was going to go down that route because he'd spoken glowingly about Leandro Trossard's uh, impact since he's arrived at the club, but also his record at Anfield and how that positive experience on that ground might be something that we need to tap into. So, so I did wonder if that was a change or, or that was a, a decision that Mikel was going to make, but he didn't. Uh, he stuck with Bukayo Saka, and uh, that 11 was the 11 that I expected. So uh, Ramsdale in goal, White holding Gabriel Zinchenko, Xhaka, Odegaard Partey, Martinelli, Saka, and Jesus. Now, before kickoff, there was a lot of emotion inside the stadium. I was up at Anfield yesterday. Um, horrendous drive, by the way. If you've been up to Anfield from London, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I think I left the house at 9.30 in the morning because I wanted to get up there nice and early. Um, I was obviously working the game, so I wanted to be there with plenty of time to spare. Didn't know where I was going to park. Um, didn't know what the traffic would be like. It was Easter Sunday, so it could be hit and miss. You know, you're thinking maybe people are off the roads and chilling out and enjoying some time with their families, but equally are people uh, coming back from trips away or... Or are people going away because it's a bank holiday tomorrow? So I was a bit unsure about the traffic. I set off nice and early. I got onto the M1 and I was about five cars behind a major, major accident. So I saw it unfold in front of me. Um, and that meant that I had to slam on the brakes. Uh, didn't hit anyone, luckily. Um, nobody hit the back of me. Uh, but it was quite a scary moment because you can see the accident unfolding in front of you and everybody's kind of slamming on the brakes and you're thinking, please just don't let me hit anyone. And then as a result of that, I ended up getting stuck on the M1 motorway for about probably an hour and 15 minutes until the police came, until the fire brigade came, because one of the guys in one of the cars, um, I think was struggling to get out of the vehicle. So it was a really shit experience. And I think because I was sitting in the car for an extra hour and 15 minutes or whatever it was, it felt like the drive took the entire day. And obviously, when you have time to sit and think, the nerves around the big game do build up. Look, thankfully, everybody, when we left the scene, was okay. Um, and that's the main thing. The cars weren't, but that's, that's neither here nor there. You know, the people were fine, and that's the main thing. 
But it kind of made me think, my God, today's not going to be my day, is it? Or is it going to be my day because I've been really lucky to avoid this? I don't know. But we continued on the journey, um, a long old journey, got up to Anfield. And when I got there, um, you could you could feel the atmosphere building around the place. Now, a lot of Arsenal fans, a lot of friends of mine, a lot of people that have been to Anfield over the years have said to me on numerous occasions, oh, the Anfield atmosphere, everybody talks about it, but it's a bit of a myth. It's not as good as people make it out to be. Based on my experience yesterday, I have to disagree. Now, what was interesting was when I travelled back home, I travelled back with a couple of friends that had been sitting in the away section. Now, of course, I was working, so I was in the gantry, which was in the main stand, and I was slightly to the right of the halfway line, so I was slightly closer to the cop end than to the Anfield road end, and it was so loud like so loud at certain points the first 25 30 minutes um it wasn't and then the granite jacker incident happened which we'll come on to in a minute because i know there's a lot of debate going around on that on social media at the moment um but what i just wanted to get out there up front is there was an atmosphere at anfield maybe it didn't come through 100 percent on the tv it never does uh, but there was a good atmosphere there it was a difficult atmosphere to play in and it was an atmosphere filled with emotion because of the fact that we're coming up to the anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster. Now, when I was speaking to a couple of Liverpool fans and some uh, Liverpool-based uh, journalists, one of the things that they said was that they were so grateful to the travelling Arsenal support for coming up there, showing respect during the minute silence. Um, you know, Arsenal obviously paid tribute to the victims, I think, the day before uh, we all saw those pictures of, of Mikel Arteta and Martin Odegaard laying down the reef, etc. And um, and what people said was, yeah, it was so nice to have a rival fan base come up and respect that. And I just want to say a big shout out to the Arsenal uh, away support because we are classy. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a class club and it's great to see that, you know, even though we've got this rivalry and even though look, Liverpool are far from my favourite football team, I can't stand them, let's be honest. Um, but uh, I think that um, it was great to see two fan bases coming together uh, just to pay respect to a, a group of people who uh, sadly lost their lives. And as I've said before, it doesn't matter what team you support. It doesn't matter how tribal you feel. None of that matters. Um, all that matters is you should not go to a football all that matters is people are safe you you should never go to a football match and not come home it's a football match you're not going to war you're going to a football match you might feel like war sometimes but it isn't it is a football match it is a sporting event and everybody that goes to a sporting event should return home safe and sound to their family so i've got a lot of sympathy for those people uh, who lost their lives and of course um the people who who were left behind the people who lost family members and, and are still trying to come to terms with that, even, what, 30-odd uh, years later. So, um, yeah, shout-out to the Arsenal away fans for, for being brilliant. OK, let's get into the game then. So, let's talk about the first goal. Um, came nice and early. It really did settle the nerves. Um, you know, I, I sort of listened to them sing, you'll never walk alone before the game. As I say, the atmosphere was pretty good. And I did feel at that point like, wow, this is going to be a really, really tough and difficult afternoon. 
And so to start the game the way we did was obviously a huge, huge positive. Uh, nice build-up play down the right, Ben White into Saka, making that run that Mikel Arteta um, has clearly coached into our wingers, which is off of the touchline infield. Now, often you see wingers sort of come inside and then look to spin wide and create space that way. But what our wingers do so very often is that they drift inside um, off of the flank. And um, and Bukayo Saka did that to great effect there. We were slightly fortunate in the way that the ball broke to Gabriel Martinelli. But for him to kind of just check his run, take it under control and then recognise that he doesn't need to snatch at the opportunity. Alisson's come out to to confront him. All he needs to do is just poke it past the goalkeeper to open the scoring. Fantastic finish. Great touch in the build-up. And, you know, Arsenal are in dreamland there. You know, you start the game brilliantly. Um, there was another opportunity where um, we played a lovely switch over to the right-hand side. Saka brought the ball down. He whipped it in towards the far post. Jesus coming in at the far post probably should have hit the target he just couldn't keep the effort down it was on the strength uh, on the stretch um he just yeah he just couldn't get there um it, well he got there but he just couldn't keep it down having got there and that was a, a real opportunity and I remember at the time thinking oh you know we uh we really needed to take advantage or we do need a second goal here at some point they had a chance through Andrew Robertson um I thought the defending for that from an Arsenal perspective was really really poor he got in behind way too easily um, and he drove it across the, the goal. He was looking for the far post. Thankfully for us, it went wide. And then on 28 minutes, Arsenal added a second. And at that point, I was starting to believe. <laughs> I've got to say, at that point, I thought, wow. Wow, what a statement victory this could be. And, you know, we kept Liverpool at bay up until that point. We'd limited them to very few chances, very few good moments. Um, Xhaka's ball out to Martinelli just checked inside and he looked up spotted Gabriel Jesus on the edge of the six yard box and put a delightful ball in Jesus timed his leap perfectly and just steered it into the bottom corner uh, to double Arsenal's lead and at that point you're thinking happy bloody days and then the moment that everybody's been talking about so shortly after that in between of course um Arsenal's second and Liverpool's first goal. There was an incident involving Granit Xhaka and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, uh, Xhaka felt he was fouled by Kunate. Uh, he got up. He went into a challenge with Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think he left something on him. Uh, and then Trent Alexander-Arnold reacted to that. Granit Xhaka then turned around, squared up to him. And that did ignite the crowd. I've seen some people posting this video on social media um, of, you know, the crowd at that point and saying no 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 it didn't ignite the crowd um you know that wasn't an issue let me let me be clear on my stance on this right so I don't blame Granite Xhaka for getting involved I don't blame any player for being competitive and feeling that fire when playing away from home at Anfield but to say that it didn't ignite the crowd for me personally as somebody who was there is factually incorrect because, as I say, I was closer to the cop end and believe me, you felt the cop end uh, erupt when that happened. You felt the people in the main stand around the gantry where I was seated get angry, uh, get fired up. And from that moment on, they were much more involved and bought into the game. There was a few incidents around that time, though, towards the end of the first half that contributed to that. 
There was the one where Martinelli went down after there was a high boot around him. There was one where Gabriel Jesus went down. All of those things combined just slowly, slowly started to light the, the touch paper and started to get the Liverpool fans on side because they were getting frustrated by what they were calling Arsenal's antics, okay? So all of those incidents combined did have an impact on the atmosphere. There is no doubt about that. Now, the reason I think that some people that were maybe at the game don't feel that way is, be is because they were at the other end of the stadium. And it was interesting because when I was speaking with my mates with whom I travelled back with, they were in the Anfield Road end, in the away end, in the corner, and they said, oh, the Anfield atmosphere wasn't that good. Yet I had a completely different opinion on it because I was down the other end of the stadium. So, you know, you don't always feel it, I guess, when you're not in the midst of it. But I certainly felt that that did up the level. Going back to the Granite Xhaka thing, though, in isolation, I think it's it's really difficult for players to go away from home, to carry out the tactical instructions provided, to remain focused throughout a game, to be technically secure and execute everything that they hope to execute. I think it's way too much to say to a football player, on top of all of the things that you have to manage and on top of all of the things that you have to do, you are also responsible for the emotions of the of the home crowd. I think that's a ridiculous demand to put on a footballer. Honestly, it could have been anything. Any kind of controversy, any kind of moment would have sparked the Anfield crowd because much like is the case at Emirates Stadium, you know, I've been to the Emirates for years and years and years and had games, been to games where the atmosphere has been dead and then a refereeing decision has gone against us and the place is lit up. And from then on, the mood was completely different and the atmosphere changed and that helped Arsenal. And so it, there was always going to be something that sparked the Anfield crowd into life. It's too intimidating of a place for it to have stayed silent for the entire duration of the game. Anybody who expected that is naive. I'm sorry, that's, that's the truth. Something was going to spark them off. Something was going to set them off. And it wasn't just the Granite Xhaka incident. It was a number of incidents around that point in the game that sparked them into life. But spark them into life or not, whatever, it doesn't excuse the poor defending that led to Liverpool's first goal. And the truth is the atmosphere went up two, three levels higher than that when they scored. So we can talk about the Xhaka incident over and over again. Did it have some impact? Probably. But as I said, I don't expect players to not compete and not be fired up on the basis that they're scared of the Anfield crowd maybe getting up off their seats. No, that's not how it works. That's not how football works. You go out, you make yourself ready to compete and you go out there and you compete to the best of your ability. And if they get up off their feet because they didn't like something, so be it. You know, there's been times at Arsenal where we've got up off of our feet because of something an opposition player did. But it's not it's not anything deeper than that. You know, they've, they're have they trying to compete. We're trying to compete. Sometimes you get clashes and this is what happens. Forget about the Granite Xhaka incident because we can talk about it until the cows come home. But the truth is that the tide really turned when Liverpool scored. And the nature of that goal, for me, I'm sorry, was just unacceptable. Um, ben White got caught stepping out of his position, uh, coming short with Jota. And then Curtis Jones makes the run on the outside. 
Um, I wonder if Rob Holding has to engage him a little bit earlier. Where I've got a bit of sympathy for Rob Holding there is that he is a centre-back and he doesn't really want to get dragged out into that right-back position. William Saliba probably looks at that and goes, no, I'm good enough, I'm quick enough, I'll go and engage. And maybe the ball uh, doesn't get worked uh, on the outside and the cross doesn't come in for Henderson, who then eventually finds Salah. But uh, look, I don't really want to sort of sit there and and have a go at Rob Holding, but I think a better centre-back maybe does a little bit more there to stop that ball uh, progressing further. But then when the ball comes into Henderson, he's in acres of space. He manages to divert it towards the far post. I, I, in my commentary yesterday, maybe I gave Henderson too much credit because I said something along the lines of, I think Henderson realises that he can't score and just goes to put it in the danger area. And maybe I gave him too much credit. Maybe he just miscued a shot. Maybe he just didn't really get a hold of it. But either way, although he was absolutely immense yesterday, having watched it back again this morning, I think maybe, just maybe, at the far post, Gabriel's got to react better. I think maybe, just maybe, Gabriel has got to be more alert, has got to stay switched on. Um, does he get sort of caught slipping mentally when the ball comes to Henderson in that? It's now about, you know, what's going to happen from Henderson's touch as opposed to worrying about Mo Salah who was lurking in behind him. I don't know. Um, but anyway... The goal goes in and that was what really ignited the crowd. And I remember at half time, uh, sort of getting up out of my seat, uh, sort of going for a little walk um, and, and thinking, this is really on a knife edge now. And and it wasn't because Liverpool had played well. It wasn't because Liverpool deserved to even be in the game. It was because... Um, it was because I felt the atmosphere inside the place building and building and building. And it had been building for a few moments prior to the goal, as I mentioned, because there were a number of incidents that really did piss off the Liverpool fans. And so you, you felt like it was at, at boiling point and then boom, um, you know, the goal just took it over that point and And from then on, it was always going to be difficult. But then Arsenal come out in the second half and actually start the game quite well um, or start the second half quite well. And you think, OK, you know, if we can just weather this storm the first 15, 20 minutes, maybe we'll be OK. And, and at one point it looked like we were going to be OK, but obviously we weren't. Um, we rode our luck at times. And, and as I say, when you look at the balance of how things went after the break, you, you have to say we were fortunate not to lose the game. Obviously, um, at half time there was an incident not involving any of our players, but involving uh, the linesman and Andrew Robertson. If you haven't watched the Sky Sports clip of Roy Keane's assessment of this, uh, make sure you go and look at it because it's hilarious. Um, he just goes, he's a baby. He's a baby. He just says it like three times and it's just, it's just so funny. Look, this linesman, I think, is going to have the book thrown at him because... We've just spent the last two, three weeks, ever since the Alexander Mitrovic at Old Trafford incident, talking about uh, how it's important to respect officials and, and all of that stuff. And now there's going to be a massive argument saying, well, if we've got to respect them, they've got to respect us. And, you know, the, the linesman does catch Robertson in the face. But take it back a step. Rewind it. Look at that incident up close. And what actually happens is the linesman at the halftime whistle makes his way onto the field of play uh, to join the um, 
to join the uh, the rest of the officials. He goes to collect the ball. Andrew Robertson's obviously unhappy with something and makes his way over to the linesman, I think quite aggressively. And the linesman just ignores him and continues to walk. And then Robertson sort of steps in front of him as if he's going to stop him progressing so that he can say his bit. And as is probably a natural... Uh, as is probably a natural reaction, the linesman just raises his arm as if to say, like, get off me. Like, as if he thinks, I think he anticipates Robertson grabbing his arm and he just goes like that to fling him off and he, he catches Robertson in the face. I mean, I think Robertson was embarrassed more than anything. And I think because he was embarrassed, he made a mountain out of a molehill. I don't want to see this official punished. I really don't. I think this is ridiculous. I think Roy Keane summed it up. Andrew Robertson acted like a baby. He complained, complained, complained. And actually, he was fortunate not to go in the book in that first half. How many kicks into the back of Bukayo Saka? How many shoves, literally outright shoves, did Andrew Robertson get away with? So I don't think he's got a leg to stand on. And I thought his behavior was was poor. And because the linesman reacted in the way he did, Robertson got embarrassed and tried desperately to... Um, to make a big thing out of it. Uh, the PGMOL, that's the uh, referees uh, organisation, have said that they're going to look into this. If they punish their their official, I'd be really, really disappointed. I really, really would. I know it's not an Arsenal-related incident, but I wanted to speak on that because I've seen so many clips going around of it, so many different opinions. Um, and that led to the Liverpool players surrounding Paul Tierney, the referee, who was dreadful, by the way, but normally is anyway, uh, at half-time. Now, I'm sitting here wondering if Liverpool are going to get a charge for surrounding the referee. Let's wait and see. I bet you they don't. But anyway, um, so that was half time. So Liverpool had pulled the goal back. Arsenal 2-1 up. Played really, really well for the majority of the half. Laps defensively, which allowed Liverpool to score. And that goal combined with a number of incidents, not just the Granite Xhaka incident. Let's be clear about that. Um sparked the crowd into life and and that put Liverpool in a position from which they could go on and, and get themselves uh, back into the game. Going to take a very, very short pause uh, just to give you uh, a reminder of the fact that this podcast is sponsored by the good people at NordVPN, the virtual private network uh, service named one of Times 2022's best inventions. It's the price of a cup of coffee per month and the benefits, I'm sure you'll agree, more than justify the cost. Uh, you can protect your data whilst traveling and using public Wi-Fi. And NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. You can watch sporting events, TV shows and films that aren't available in your region. You can purchase flights, subscriptions and more at cheaper prices by logging in from another location. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash chronicles AFC. The link is in the description to get a huge discount off of your plan, plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Let me put this just quickly into layman's terms for you, because um, I know not everybody is aware or, or is familiar what, with what a VPN is. Uh, basically, NordVPN is a service uh, that allows you uh, to change your virtual location when online. Uh, it helps protect your data because it adds another layer uh, for those terrible people that try to bypass these things uh, to have to get through one that is safe and secure and one that they're just simply not going to get through. But by changing your virtual location, 
uh, you can make your computer or device think that you are operating from another country, which means you can watch sporting events that are geo-blocked in your country. You can watch TV shows that maybe aren't out yet in your country, and you can watch films that aren't out in your country. A great example of this is Netflix. If you log in uh, to NordVPN, set your virtual location as the US, you will get a totally different inventory of things to watch uh, in comparison to what we get here in the UK. Equally, ever been scrolling through Twitter uh, looking for highlights of a game and you see this content is not available in this region? Well, if you're on NordVPN, you can flip to the region that it isn't available in and you can watch it. Equally, if you're on your travels and you're a Sky Go user or a Virgin Media user, you'll be able to set your location to the UK. Uh, and you can watch that or you can watch Match of the Day on the BBC, which is obviously geo-blocked outside of England. Lots and lots of benefits on hand and purchasing flights from the source sometimes where you're going to uh, from the destination or whatever can obviously prove cheaper as well. So, uh, yeah, do check it out. NordVPN. Uh, get your exclusive deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash Chronicles AFC. Uh, and you'll get a huge discount as well as four months additional. Uh, I know a lot of you use it already, uh, so take advantage of this deal if you haven't done so already because it's going to be running, I think, for about another week or so. But yeah, anyway, back to the game. So uh, second half begins, as I say, I think Arsenal started it the first few minutes quite comfortably, and I looked at it and I thought, yeah, you know, this is what we needed to do. We needed to come out and weather the storm. We needed to play well so that we could... Um, just kind of take the sting out of the crowd and out of the atmosphere that had been building towards the back end of the first half. But again, as I said earlier on, that doesn't mean you don't compete. That doesn't mean that you pull out of challenges that you think might upset the crowd. As I say, I, I think when you go out onto the field of play as a competitor, you have to compete at all times to the best of your ability and you can't be thinking about that. You know, how difficult... Would it be if for a footballer if you advised them or, or instructed them to go out and be physical and make sure that they challenge for every single ball whilst towing the line of making sure they don't upset the Anfield crowd? You're always going to upset the home crowd when you're the away team at some point or another in one way, shape or form as part and parcel of football. Um, so I think if you're sitting there really pointing fingers at that and, and pointing fingers at you know, Granit Xhaka or anyone else involved in any incidents and, and saying, like, we didn't learn our lessons from last season, etc., etc. I think you're being incredibly harsh because what you're essentially asking is for a player mid-challenge to be thinking about the reaction that it might spark and that it might cause. And I just don't think that's realistic. So um, we'll, we'll move on from that point. I, I don't want to go over it a million and one times. I think that's my stance on it and, and that's how I feel about it. It is an ideal and it... It did contribute to the atmosphere changing. but So, yeah, I, I think there were a few incidents, as I say, that really kind of sparked them into life and, and really um, got them up off their feet. I think it's really unfair, as I say, to, to focus solely uh, on the Xhaka one. But, um, yeah, you probably wouldn't know that if you wasn't there. And, that, and that's that's why I'm OK with people feeling the way they feel. But I'm just giving you my perspective and and sort of what I saw and what I felt inside the stadium at that point. And I was in a position, as I mentioned earlier on, that was a lot closer to the heart of the Liverpool fan base rather than the Arsenal fans um, who maybe didn't feel the same because they weren't right in the middle of it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, so the second half starts. I thought we did okay um, right at the start. And then, of course, the penalty kick comes along. Oh, 
and it's it's soft in my opinion. You know, it is soft. But if it was the other way, I'd want it given for us. Uh, Rob Holding, I think, just is a little bit clumsy. You know, he's desperate to try and get to the ball ahead of Jota. And in doing that, he ends up sort of tangling legs with him. Now, Jota's really, really clever. He knows exactly what he's doing there because he's running away from goal, Diogo Jota. He's not going anywhere dangerous. And he feels Rob Holding sort of looking to step across him. He makes sure that the contact's there. And he goes down and Paul Tierney uh, made, well, he had no, I don't even think he gave himself time to think about what he'd just seen or process uh, what he'd just seen. He just literally uh, pointed to the spot without any hesitation. And that was that, you know, Liverpool uh, with a golden opportunity to make it 2-2. And at that point in the game, you're, you're thinking if they equalise now, we're in serious, serious trouble. We're in deep, deep trouble. Up steps Mo Salah. I'd have backed him to score every single day of the week. And, and Jurgen Klopp obviously did as well because Jurgen Klopp, who decided to face the other way during the penalty kick, um, gave it a fist pump as though Salah had scored and it ended up going uh, wide of the post. Uh, so we got away with that and I thought, right, that is the kick up the backside we need. That is the warning sign that we need. That is what we need to spark us back into action. We needed to get back to playing our game and not fearing Liverpool because we'd seem to just drop off. And Mikel Arteta alluded to it after the game. You know, people kept asking him about the uh, the incidents and, and the ignition of the crowd and all of that stuff. And I think that's a bit of a narrative that is born out of maybe what happened last season where Arsenal were beaten heavily after he had that little spat with Jurgen Klopp. Um, but Mikel Arteta, I think, said all the right things. And I think Mikel Arteta, if... It is true that that's what he said to his players. I think he's put the right message across that, you know, we were great for 35, 40 minutes. We were fantastic and we needed to continue playing that way. And the minute we kind of went inside ourselves a little bit and the minute we started to just drop off and, and we're maybe thinking twice or, or second guessing ourselves with regards to the way we were playing, that's when we gave Liverpool all the impetus and all the control. And yeah, look, in the second half, we had a couple of moments on the break. Martinelli, uh, with a cross in towards Bukayo Saka, which um, w was well defended. And then Alisson was able to to gather it. There was another one uh, right at the end of the game after Liverpool had equalised where Martinelli could have played Saka in through the middle and the weight on the pass and the angle of the pass was just a little bit off. So we certainly had moments on the break, but we were nowhere near as controlling. We were nowhere near as comfortable. We were nowhere near as confident in our play. And... Obviously, the equaliser comes late on and it would be Roberto Firmino of all people. Uh, he's got an incredible goal scoring record against Arsenal. And I kind of felt when he came on, actually, that we were probably going to end up being pegged back by him. Um, and um, and again, the defending was really, really suspect from Arsenal. You know, on this occasion, I think you can look at Alexander Zinchenko. And again, I don't want to kick the guy too hard because... You know, he's been fantastic all season, but we've always known that defensively he's not the best and he's not very, very solid. And that's a risk or a, a sort of decision that Mikel Arteta's decided to take on the basis that he gives us so much on the ball, in possession, in terms of his experience and all those other qualities. But the way Trent Alexander-Arnold does him there is just far, far too easy. He's outside the box. If he's not, if you can't make the tackle, if you can't win the ball, you do not let him pass. It's as simple as that. Uh, and he does. He lets him glide past him way too easily, pokes it through his legs, comes out the other side, stands it up at the far post. The height, the angle, the trajectory of the cross, really good from Trent because it catches 
uh, the Ben White out at the far post. You know, the the attacker just took that extra step back to create um, the right angle for him to make make the header. Um, you know, Ramsdale isn't going to get anywhere near that, and there you have it. It's two two, and then at that point, my mentality just completely switched. It was no longer about getting three points. It was about just surviving. And fortunately, we did. But we did because of some great saves from Aaron Ramsdale. If Arsenal do go on to win the Premier League this season, people will talk about Saka and Martinelli and Odegaard and Partey and, and Jesus, and rightly so. But Aaron Ramsdale will be equally um, as... Uh, will be equally as... Um, I'm just, sorry, I'm just reading that comment from Sweet Munchkin. Mate, you don't have to tune in. It's not compulsory if you don't like it. <laughs> um, yeah, look. People will talk about all of those star players and all of those outfield players and the impact they've had this season. But Aaron Ramsdale will be just as uh, responsible and just as um, important in whatever we achieve or don't achieve this season because he, the, the saves... Uh, he's made over the past few weeks have been incredible. Our defending has been suspect a lot of the time. You know, we haven't been anywhere near as solid as we were in the first half of the season, whether that be from set pieces, whether that be poor decision-making in certain scenarios. Uh, but Ramsdale, I mean, the save from Darwin Nunez when he was through on goal, fantastic. Stood up for ages. You know, most goalkeepers go down nice and early. They make the attackers mind up. And what he did was he caused Darwin Nunez to second-guess himself. And Darwin Nunez, I think's body shape kind of gave away what he was looking to do. And Ramsdale was able to react to that fantastic um, piece of goalkeeping there. The save from the Mo Salah shot towards the end that took a slight deflection off of Gabriel as well on its way. World class. And then the save from Konate on the line where Konate tries to kind of chest the ball over the line. Now, maybe a striker there gets his head on it or puts his foot through it and scores that and makes it impossible for Ramsdale to save. But he has to be there, the goalkeeper, and he was. And he makes a fantastic stop. And um, he, for me, was the man of the match. People would talk about um, Mikel Arteta's substitution, some of the changes he made were the right changes. Obviously, he brought on Leandro Trossard later on in the game. I thought Jesus was running on empty at that point, so I thought that that was fine. Um, that's what we have now. We have another option. And so he made that change. The Jakub Kivior change for me was a bit of a weird one. Now, I know that in the past, when we've been leading games, Mikel Arteta has looked to throw on that third centre-half and try and tighten things up that way. And had William Saliba been fit and had he started the game, we might have seen Rob Holding be the one that was thrown into the mix like that. But that's because Rob Holding's been around the block. He's been there, done it, seen it. He's been at Arsenal for a long, long time. He understands uh, exactly, um, you know, um, he understands exactly what is asked of him and he understands what the role entails going into the centre of the defence in the way that he has done so often for us. Jakub Kivior, though, who's had hardly any time in the Premier League, to bring him on in an atmosphere like that, under circumstances like that, I thought was a little bit strange. I would have probably turned to Kieran Tierney first. Now, I know Kieran Tierney came on eventually, and I know Kieran Tierney uh, was stripped and ready and was ready to come on when Zinchenko made that mistake, which is also a kick in the teeth because you know that had Tierney been on, 
Trent Alexander-Arnold probably doesn't get past Zinchenko that way. And listen, Zinchenko defensively isn't as solid, but maybe there was a bit of tiredness there. In fact, I'm sure there was a bit of tiredness there. Uh, and that's partly why he was unable to deal with the situation. But you just think if that substitution was made a couple of minutes earlier, maybe we don't concede that equalising goal at that point. Uh, and then maybe Liverpool don't press as hard uh, in search of the winner. I don't know. It's all ifs and buts. But to bring Jakub Kivior on was... For me, a bit of a gamble, a bit of a risk. Mikel Arteta will say to you, well, why did I go out and buy this player if I don't trust him to come on and help us see out a game? He's a centre-half, for God's sakes. But I don't think his introduction made us look any more solid. Um, In fact, I thought it did the opposite because now, after watching Arsenal for the entire half and, and bemoaning the fact that they couldn't keep the ball and they couldn't control the game and they couldn't control possession, we'd now taken out a player who would give us that little bit more control Albeit he had an off afternoon, I thought, Martin Odegaard. I thought he really, really did. Jakub Kivior didn't give us that defensive solidarity. And not that I blame the guy, right? This is not me digging him out because to come on under those circumstances is not easy, especially when you've had so little Premier League football. But I didn't think that substitution gave us what it was supposed to give us, which was greater solidarity defensively. I thought, actually, we conceded more chances, more clear-cut chances after that change was made because now we had nothing in midfield. You know, it was literally Thomas Partey and Granit Xhaka just trying to compete. And Liverpool had brought on Thiago at that point and he was starting to get on the ball and they were trying to uh, find little pockets of space. I just, I don't know. For me, it didn't really work. It didn't cost us the game, but it didn't really work. And um, yeah, so I think if you're critical of of Mikel's substitutions, I think you probably have a bit of a point. Um, I think he kind of shit the bed at that point. And I think he felt that and worried that Arsenal were going to let it all go and and that we were going to crumble. And look, right at the top of the programme, I said, is it a good point or is it two points dropped? And I kind of tried to, explain how I've got mixed feelings on this in that based on the first half performance it felt like two points dropped but based on how dominant Liverpool were in the second half it felt like a good point I think now it's done it's dusted you have to focus on the positive you have to take the point you have to be pleased that we didn't lose a game that we could have very very easily lost and you need to move on to West Ham next week and focus fully on that People keep saying now that Arsenal have surrendered control. I said that as well. I said it in my post-match reaction video because, yeah, if City go and win all of their games, it's theirs now. You know, so, yeah, dropping points has given them that impetus and that bit of control. But at the same time, we've got control too. And that's what makes this a really unique situation because we play each other. And we go to the Etihad. And if they don't beat us, then as long as they don't make up any ground anywhere else, then we're fine. So, yeah, it's... um. It's going to be a really, really torturous next few weeks. That's for sure. Uh, Manchester City are, of course, um, in the Champions League as well. They've got that to think about. But you look at some of their fixtures and you feel like they can win them 3-4-0. And so the goal difference thing, which it could quite easily come down to, I think is something that they're going to beat us on. So I'm not hopeful of that. I think that we need to we need to get a result at the Etihad, basically, and make sure that we don't drop any more points than they do along the line up until that point you know we got West Ham Southampton now if we can win both of those games that will restore the the confidence that we may be lost I don't think it was a lot but I think we may be lost a little bit having been pegged back the way that we were you know are we this great side that can go away to the big grounds and win we probably thought we were 
um, after 40 minutes at Anfield yesterday. And then we had a bit of a reality check in the second half. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the team get over that psychologically. I think Mikel's done the right thing in trying to put across the positive messages, not dwelling on the negative too much. Um, and yeah, let's uh, let's see how we go. Um, let's see how we go. But lots to unpack in that one. Um, to kind of summarise, do I think that the game turned on the Granite Xhaka Trent Alexander-Arnold incident? No. Uh, I think it turned on the goal. I think the crowd did ignite off the back of the, the Xhaka incident at that point, but it probably would have died down again had they not gone on and scored as quickly after that as they did. But I also think there were other incidents which I've mentioned um, that um, you know that, that contributed to that as well. What I will say about the trip to the Etihad, look, we'd be coming up against a much better team than Liverpool. Um, but I think it was the atmosphere that maybe got to us a little bit yesterday. And one thing I can say for sure, having visited both grounds, is that you're not going to get that atmosphere at the Etihad. So that's a positive. You're not going to get that kind of raucous atmosphere. You're not going to get that kind of passion, fire, all of the above. That doesn't exist at the Etihad. It certainly does at Anfield. And that was the leveller yesterday. So we will just have to go to the Etihad, be, play out of our skins, get ourselves a point. That's all we need, as long as we don't mess up anywhere else along the way and um, and see where it leaves us. But look, there are going to be twists. There are going to be turns. Manchester City could win every single game between now and the end of the season, but they could quite easily drop points as well. So there's lots to play for. Don't stress. Uh, enjoy the ride, as I always say, although it's not always easy to do that, is it, when you're in the thick of it? Um, and um, we'll see. We'll see where we go. Um, we'll see where we go. If you've got any questions, uh, let me know. Um, chuck them in the chat for the last few minutes of the program. Uh, don't forget to check out um, the NordVPN offer. Uh, you can find the information in the description below. It will save you a fair chunk of money and you'll get four months uh, additional free as well. Um, guys, all these arguments in the chat, like there's no need, man. We all support the same team. Um, I know there's a couple of gaslighters in the chat. Um, believe me, I know who you are. Um, and uh, and I will block them going forward because it's distracting, man. Um, like we're here to chat about football and to chat about Arsenal and people are... Uh, literally trying to wind others up. There's a couple of accounts that I've noticed over the last few weeks have been doing that, uh, just literally coming in here to wind people up. So I will uh, will block those accounts uh, because what's the point? What's the point? That's not what we're here for. Oh, stressful um, afternoon yesterday. Stressful show due to the technical gremlins. And, um, and yeah, kind of just got to put it behind us and move forward. Uh, right, let's take this question. Sergeant Sponge, Harry, do you think we should not have been time-wasting and should have focused on scoring another goal? Um, I don't think that we were like over-the-top time-wasting. I think when, when opportunities presented themselves, i.e. someone got hit in the face with the ball or, or something like that, we would take our time over at goal kicks, etc. You, you expect that. Um, so I don't think we overdid it. Um, but I do think we were a little bit negative in the second half. I think we had the confidence zapped out of us. Um, again, largely due to the atmosphere. I think we were intimidated by it. And I think we lost ourselves. And in losing ourselves, we allowed Liverpool to get into the game by defending badly and obviously uh, conceding that goal at the end of the first half. But also in the second half, 
we we still we just stopped believing in ourselves i felt we we stopped believing in our game and in our patterns of play and we just went back to kind of trying to defend for our lives and sinking deeper and deeper and deeper and 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 we allowed liverpool to grow in confidence when really we should have been out of sight and that was the frustration for me and that's why there is a part of me that feels like we dropped a couple of points as well but you know, looking at the way it actually went, you can't go back and change that. But when you look at the balance of the chances and the opportunities and the saves that Aaron Ramsdale had to make, then you, you have to say that we were somewhat fortunate to get away with what we got away with. Um, let's take a couple more. Uh, Name says, what's your confidence level? Are we the Premier League? I think yesterday gave me confidence that we would get a point at the Etihad. If we defend like that at the Etihad, I think we'll concede 10, genuinely. Um, the way we defended in the second half was not good. Um, we, And when I say defend, I don't mean the back four specifically. Like I'm not looking at the back four and going, it's on you. I thought they did quite well. They, they made clearances. They made blocks when they needed to. I think as a team, we're not great when we're having to sit back and soak up our way of defending is is to have the ball and to be confident and to keep the ball high up the pitch and we just weren't able to do that so I think you know again City will be a much bigger threat I think they've got much more quality than Liverpool at the moment um, and so you know I'm not confident that we're going to go in there and get a result but look as someone rightly pointed out yesterday if you go head-to-head -head with someone in a title race and you can't get a single point off them over the course of the season and and they match you everywhere else, then you, you probably don't deserve to win the league. So we'll see how that goes. Um, see how that goes. Okay. Um, Lijo Jacob says, Harry, will West Ham be a difficult game since they'll be fighting to stay above the relegation zone? Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. No game is easy. And you look at some games on paper and you go, yeah, you know what? That's a game that, um, that we... Uh, we should go out and win based on our league position in comparison to theirs. But at the same time, um, you know, there's a lot of stake for West Ham United and um, and I don't expect that to be an easy game. I, I really don't. OK, um, I think I'm going to leave it there. Um, I will see you all very, very soon with more. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the podcast. Um, stressful afternoon. We got the point on the board. It could have been more, probably should have been more, but it wasn't in the end. There's no point crying over spilt milk. We move on and we focus on that big game against West Ham United coming up next weekend. Fingers crossed we can get back to winning ways and it'll be nice if um, Leicester appoint a new manager, get a new manager bounce and then get something off City, wouldn't it? But yeah, as I said in my five rules to coping with the title race, don't obsess over City's results. <laughs> Although you've got a little bit more license to now that they've taken two points out of our lead, I guess. But anyway, um, I'll catch you all soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. All the best, guys. Until next time, take care of yourselves and stay safe. Goodbye.